Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. In this episode, we discuss the process of brewing with Lazav, where we started, and where we ended up. After that, we'll take a step back from brewing this week to discuss our process, how we think about brewing, and what we hope to achieve when we're doing it. Have a sip of your Blink Moth tonic. This is Special Editions. Welcome to episode six of the Serum Visions podcast. Coming to you from Santa Cruz, California, I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me on the line is the deep fried pie master himself, Arun Singh. How are you, Arun? I'm doing very well. You know, all things considered, we always talk about how the weather's changing. It is definitely fall. It's been rainy as hell in Portland recently, uh, but I've also heard it's a La Nina year, so this is to be expected. Uh, you know, definitely got to we're like getting lots of use out of my rain gear and my rain jacket you know still biking to work via like commuting in the rain which is kind of fun but also terrible but like you feel pretty good and accomplished because uh, you get soaked uh, but otherwise you know things are going well enough yeah hopefully we get some of that rain down here we're in like perpetual drought year after year so oh, my lawn right now is just uh it's a, a pile of dirt and dead brown grass uh, but i know the first Oof. rain will bring it back to life so <laughs> so also joining us on the line is a man to whom we give much thanks zach ryle how are you zach i'm good is it american thanksgiving am i it, getting a vibe it is here? yeah oh, we, that, we're yeah. so close oh we we already did ours man why are you guys so late oh yeah listen i'm gonna come down there and get my second turkey of the season um because there is nothing like a good excuse for having all the Thanksgiving fixins, um, uh, they're just—they are excellent. Uh, potatoes are great. Gravy is phenomenal. Uh, yep. You know, just all manner, all manner of delightful nonsense. Amen. Yep. Yeah. But but really, let's let's be real. Pumpkin pie. Oh. Yes. Yes. Oh. Uh. No way. I, I, I feel bus. like I could do something with that, too, because I, I now have my own whipped cream whipper um, with which I have made a incredible uh, peanut butter whiskey foam. But okay. I'm sure I could do something with pumpkin. I haven't done haven't done anything with pumpkin yet. But when it was when it was just rolling into uh, fall, I did manage to reverse engineer um, almost exactly, although I think it was slightly better, um, Starbucks's pumpkin spice syrup, which, uh, key hint, involves caramel. Mmm. Mm. Classic. Yeah. Classic. If you, if you go taste, taste test it, I did some uh, industrial espionage, and I got a sample of it from uh, one of their lovely baristas, and uh, I was like, what is that taste? Why is it so orangey? <gasps> caramel, I found you. Nice. <laughs> Well, I look forward to the day that I can taste your pumpkin sauce. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Just the, the pumpkin sauce and concoctions from my nut milk bag. I mean, it's just going to be, <laughs> we're just going to spray it all over. 
all right, all right. Moving on, moving on. Uh, let's let's uh let's move on and uh, talk a little bit about this meta that we've been seeing recently. Is this normal? I haven't been here for a What did you do? What, is this normal? <laughs> is, it, is it normal for it to be this completely beautifully diverse? Because I gotta tell you, I was looking through the last challenges from the weekend, one of which is a uh, modern championship qualifier, which I assume just is gonna pull out some of the, the big guns. Um, although, in the top eight of that one, there was no canister. In the top eight of the regular challenge that was on the other day, there was Doom Switch, Canister, and Timu, so whatever um but it it like it seems perfectly balanced uh it's wild so if we just rip through the top eight of that championship qualifier um there was a mono green titan uh the mono white heliod ballista combo uh an uro omnath pile uh a twist on the uh, death shadow scores of the skyclaves black red deck that is splashing into white uh, a little more so um, Blue-black control is a thing again. I oh, uh, yeah. don't know how that's happening, but it doesn't involve Bitter Blossom, so I'm a little little sad. Um, the, uh, what is it, the, the uh, M. Hayashi's uh, mono-red Obosh deck, that's still rocking up there. Um, and then a second copy of the Scourge Shadow deck and a second copy of Omnath Uro. Um, with honorable mentions to Oops All Spells in ninth place and uh, Oops All Spells, the classic Belcher version in 12th place, and, Brian, Grixis Wurza in 13th place. <laughs> Yay! So, like, we've got, um, like, Mono Green Titan won the event, and that is a powerful linear deck, but is not, you know, I mean, it is obnoxious, but, it, I mean, it's obnoxious in a way that is, like, well understood, everyone knows the rules they play by, you can hate them out, um, you know, there's plenty of tools that deal with them. In second place, Mono White, Heliod Bliss, I mean, like, the these decks are not, I don't, what? Yeah, uh, this seems like it's how, how it's been for the past couple of weeks, though, you know, we've been seeing things rise and fall, I think we've seen a pretty good diversity in the top eights. Uh, I'm still as shocked as you are that anybody plays white, but you know, <laughs> Skyclave Apparition is... I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it may be the most impactful card from the set. I know that, that uh, Omnath is like a pretty big contender, but the fact that one card was able to sort of pull white out of the trenches you know everybody thought it was going to be stoneforge mystic when it was unbanned and i do think that certainly helped but skyclave apparition has propped up a number of decks i've been seeing spirits uh i've seen it in humans i've seen it in all sorts of stuff and every time i get got by it 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 does its job and it does it well and they always seem to have like five copies of it <laughs> <laughs> or, or they're flaker wisping it to get extra triggers yep and giving you useless little illusions um and you can see with these decks how they do balance against each other um so it's pretty neat um but then the long tail of diversity through you know the 32 deck lists in both events is wild uh you know a sneak preview of the other event included uh, band spirits and omnath taking turns um you know so it's it's super super wild it's it's the wild west but what i am most surprised about is that it has consistently stayed this diverse 
for as long as it has. I mean, I, I haven't been here to talk about it in a month, and I basically feel like I'm looking at the same kind of results as I was before, um, which is pretty wild. Uh, Don't worry, cow so, time's coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, this whole modern's been very diverse for a long time, which is really exciting. Uh, do you want to give a shout out to Mordekaiser from the Niv subreddit, or no, not from not subreddit, but from the Niv Discord? You know, always innovating, always just killing it with Niv. Uh, crazy that deck is, that deck is something, no doubt. And yeah, I definitely gotta just reiterate, Modern is super diverse, and you know, you jump into a league and you never know what you're gonna hit. It's just like sometimes you face Mono Green Tron twice, other times you'll face like. Blue white Merfolk, and it's just you know. Oh yeah, who can... uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about the the Grixis testing this week for, uh, for Blizzard <laughs> deck because uh, I I had some matchup spread. Uh, but uh, then we have the second challenge, which uh, so first and second place. These are the decks that I would expect to see in first and second place, and they are the most common, which is Black Red Scourge Shadow took that one down, and uh, you know the Omnath Uro deck was in second, but third place we had eighty card Niv with Urian. Fourth place, we had what I am generously referring to as Twin, but it's it's Blue Moon with Kiki Jiki and Deceiver Exarch, uh, as well as the Boilproof Mana Base, um, made popular by uh, uh, Aspiring Spike. And then we have another copy of Blue Black Control. We have a Blue Red Prowess deck, so that deck is not totally gone from the world. Um, Blue Red As Foretold in seventh place, and then another Titan deck, Green White Titan Toolbox, um, featuring you know all sorts of one of nonsense um, to Eladomri's call for. Um, so, you know, similarly diverse, uh, blue-black control hitting exactly fifth place both days. Um, but there's room to play most types of decks, which is just, it's, it's great. So great. Um, we're a little lacking on, like, linear combo decks here, um, depending on how you want to define Titan. But I, and there's no spell-based combos. There's no ad nauseum. There's no storm or anything like that. So I'm guessing those guys are having trouble with the balancing between uh, everyone just killing them faster than uh, than they can, or uh, just having the correct balance of force and negations in the case of these blue control decks. Um, but yeah, and and then the league results have been wild too. I mean, there's there's all sorts of crazy stuff five owing. Uh, did you guys see the uh, the serum powder Eldrazi managed to make it? Oh yeah, that is I always love to see serum powder Eldrazi make it. I mean, it's just I honestly I don't know how they do it. Like it's every time I played the deck, you know, it's just your opponent goes turn two Stoneforge Mystic, and you're like, oh, you know, I don't think I can actually beat that card. It's... My three three for three, <laughs> no. <laughs> and you know, like they'll like you yeah, like you know you can powder a bunch like you you get you get double temple you know you exile two scourges and if you don't have that thought now it's your reality smasher your opponent just goes uro and now you're just like doo, 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 this is awkward I can't beat a six six that was always the fundamental weakness of the deck was unable to beat a six six and it is still yeah. the weakness of the deck. This yeah, is... but even regular Etron, the 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 uh, honest you know goes to work wearing a suit version of Etron. Uh, really has trouble with Uro. They, they do. I mean, it's just, it's he's bigger, he's badder, he gains life and draws cards. I mean, just reality smashers are so sad. Because the, <laughs> the uh, Serum Powder Eldrazi tends to lean less on the smashers, right? If I'm remembering lists uh, no, better. No, it's like even more on the smasher. They don't have Karn. They don't have Karn and Big Mana as a backup. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're just hope... 
you know, every time when I would play Serum Powder Eldrazi, every time I won, you know, I had no cards in hand and just like barely swinging for lethal. It's just that deck is something else. Well, or or you went turn one chalice and your opponent was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to play any magic today. Yeah, those are great. Oh, <laughs> and I'll, your I'll, red prowess opponent. I do want to mention that this uh, Serum Powder Eldrazi is actually kind of of the old school uh, version slash school of thought where. In the flex spot, spot, it plays two card in the Great Creator with a minor wish package. And I do, oh. honestly, I think that's probably correct. I was used to, when I played the deck, I was actually pretty skeptical of Karn. Uh, but now that I've played a lot with Karn, I, you know, Karn is pretty busted magic card. So, like, it, there's not really much else once you're playing all your Eldrazi and everything else. Like, what else are you going to put in that flex spot? Sometimes I'll go red for Eldrazi Obligator, which is definitely fun and nice, and it's got the haste. And there's so many times you just steal your opponent's goy for lethal. Uh, but I mean, Karn is just a busted magic card straight up. So that that's this is probably the version I would play. Actually, maybe I'll be tempted. You know, maybe I've made bad decisions before. I can make bad decisions again. It isn't this like the second time we've seen Serum Powder Eldrazi make the five O list? And like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like a couple episodes back we were commenting that Serum Powder yeah, Eldrazi yeah. had no, made the five O list. They're well. out there. <laughs> they're like uh, they're like mono red prison players. They're yep. always there. They're always waiting. And you know, it's nice, like, a league with Serum Powder Eldrazi takes, like, 50 minutes oh. sometimes. It's just... Oh, I, I, uh, in, I'm coming back to streaming, and uh, you bet your bippy that I'm going to be uh, streaming some Serum Powder Eldrazi, because it's always a good time. And, you know, it's, it's once you get comfortable, and I will say it again, but it's such a good deck for learning the fundamentals of aggressive mulliganing yep, and linear yep. decks, which Amen. is such an important thing to learn to do in modern um, for a whole <laughs> host of decks. And it's just so much more clear um, than any of those things. So, uh, But we'll talk about those in the Brewing Fundamentals. Um, and then there's this really cool Esper Vile deck uh, that I really want to try out. Esper Vile is a well-established deck for uh, Legacy, um, but not so much for Modern. And this one is playing, I, I do not, Ulamog's Nullifier, oh, which yeah. is a 4-mana 2-3 Flash Flyer with Devoid. When it enters the battlefield, you may put two cards your opponents own from exile into their owner's graveyard, and if you do, counter-target spell. They are playing four copies of this. What in the world? And only three I, that's And only three Aether Vial in an Aether Vial deck. Because let's, let's, be, let's be clear, their curve starts at two. I... This deck is unreal. Uh, I don't understand how they didn't die immediately to everything. Oh, well, they have two Force of Negation. Problem solved. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And two Path to Exile. What's so, their blue you know, count? It, Four. Six, oh, it's high. There's, there's a lot of gold cards. Um, No, their blue count is 10. Okay. That's probably why it's only two forces, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. The... Uh, with oh, no, no, fire. there's Teferi's as well. Yeah, there's four Teferi, there's two Force of Negation, and there's four Queller. And, like, Ulamog's Nullifier is Devoid, so you can't pitch it. And Delay. And Delay. Oh, oh yeah, so delay. it's okay. like 16. Yeah. And they are playing main deck Delay with uh, Teferi Time Raveler. So, like, their ideal curve is probably just going to be Aether Vile Delay Teferi, and they start Aether Viling things in. But it, it's just it's just such a wild pile of nonsense that I just got to check this thing out because... Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it, it looks tenuous, and, uh, you know, perhaps it is. Uh, um, and even, even the inverter, there's even an inverter of truth deck in here. What's up? What's up? Any deck that is looking to put their Aether Vial on four or greater, I am in for. Mm. This sounds mm. like the type of nonsense that I can get behind. 
respect. Yeah, I mean the the Uriah index with uh, with Aether Vial were super neat um, when when that's a thing that you want to do because you get to put your Vial up to five, um, pay three mana for your instant speed Uriah basically, and then reset your Aether Vial down to zero, and then just go back up again. Which well, is pretty neat. Tech. I'm down for that. Yeah. Right. And well, and someone someone did uh, an eighty card white red taxes list with Uriah. Like I don't. Again, how are you success make this with? Like I don't understand, but it's wonderful. So uh, there it is with the uh, Chroma Angel of Fury and everything. Oh yeah, that's the perfect flicker with target. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. If you uh, if you morph it in. <laughs> Amazing. So, needless to say, uh, we can five zero in this format with a lot of things, like um, some kind of blue green uh, turbo Areo prison deck that I saw Canister playing. Uh, oh, Ar- Arun, do you yeah. have any thoughts about that guy? <laughs> oh yeah, I love you know. Actually, Canister's hilarious. Like I started watching him stream more and more, and you know, you can never tell how much he's joking or how much he's trolling, and it's kind of fun. Like, you don't know anything about him, and you don't know how much of his personality isn't just trolling. So, it's very... I, I do enjoy watching him, and... Yeah, I mean, it was unfortunate. He he 3 the prelim after 4 winning the league, which is actually not super surprising. Like, there, I've seen on Reddit that some people have asked about a write-up of the of this Blue-Green Arayo deck, which I've been... Yeah, I've wanted to do for a while, but I've just... Honestly, I think I got pretty lucky with my 5-0, and I don't know if, like... The deck in this current form is strong enough that, you know, I'll write it up and then, like, I try, everyone's, I've been taking the two leagues and iterating, which we'll definitely get to in a, a little bit, uh, but, you know, I've, I've been losing much more than I've been winning, uh, is the rather unfortunate part, and it feels like, you know, there's just a whole bunch of things that we'll talk about later that just need to be resolved and likely can be resolved, uh, but in their current state, you know, I don't know how much I can endorse, like, if you want to win, <laughs> If you want to like do well, I don't know how much you should jump into a league with it yet. Well, one of the one of the clearest things that I could say about um, watching Canister O three that is, if you look at the matchup spread of mm-hmm. a league versus the matchup spread of a competitive tournament, those are two different yeah. things entirely. And I, I would even say that um, a lot of even competitively minded players, uh, it, they sort of self incentivize. Um, that like, oh, I'm going to play the competitive decks in the competitive events, and I'm going to play decks that I like to play in league. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't people who are both competitive and enjoy playing the same kind of decks in challenges that they want to play in leagues. But I think there's a lot of people who, you know, I, I definitely fall into that category. I'm a lot more willing to play some nonsense in a league mm. and play nonsense or decks I enjoy 80-90% of the time in a league and then only do reps for a competitive tournament when I think that I need to. Um, so uh, there are decks like Prowess and uh, Black Red um, Scourge Shadow that are just really, really difficult matchups for this Areo deck. They just are. Um, it's not an easy thing to deal with, and um, they just pick you apart, and they have Lava Darts and, and Lightning Bolts <laughs> and all manner of cheap interaction, which makes it really hard for you to do your thing. Um, the the ways that the synergies in that deck want to work, uh, they are easily attacked by uh, by these kind of things. So if you could guarantee that you only played against the Uro piles, which are again also popular, 
um, then you could have a really great tournament, but you're going to face a lot of these aggressive decks, and they are going to be difficult for you. Um, even things like Titan can be difficult for you, because uh, even if you manage to flip an Areo, a lot of the time they've already assembled enough mana, and they can just go like, here's my Arboreal Grazer. That can get countered by your Areo. Now here's my Titan. Or just Cavern of Souls, yep, you know? Yep, so yeah. they, they have the tools to get the job done. Etron um, will do the same thing sometimes. Uh, and it's not, they're not useless matchups, but like the, the red matchup's so bad, and then these other matchups are losable. So, um, you know, when you're playing against the nonsense of a league and you run into things like, uh, you know, Humans is a great deck, but it's not well positioned right now. Fine. Um, Th that one can be tricky, but it's like you're just going to face all manner of nonsense when you're playing in a league, and that is somewhere where uh, the Array of Prison deck's uh, sort of corresponding power level is higher than, I, I think, uh, a lot of the decks in the league. But Yeah, that's a really good point. I do I do want to do a write-up. I think I want to... I'm And I'll talk about this too, but I want to tinker with it a little bit more. Uh, and then, But I do... I think a write-up would be a lot of fun, you know, once I feel a little more confident, like that there's just two small things I want to check and then definitely you know it is a fun deck and I mean just flipping a Ryo it's so much fun and it's so cool and it's so novel and so yeah I think you you both have very good points well yeah and it's it's just something that I think a lot of people have seen it and they wanted to make it work and you were the person who came along and you had the right timing the right set of ideas to to make it work even if it's temporary even if it's a, a small burst it's just one of those cards that's very uh, addictive like when you see it you're like oh I want to make that happen <laughs> and knowing that it's possible you know you get quite a quite a kick from uh, from from getting it to happen. I mean, you've even mentioned it before, but I love that even in the MTGO chat log, it just tells you Areo has flipped exclamation point, and that that just blows me away. <laughs> it's just that is the equivalent uh, of having an awesome animation on Magic Arena. So Magic Arena players, let me let me tell you something. That exclamation point, that's so exciting. You don't even understand. World of difference. Yeah. Text based adventures, baby. Let's go play some, uh, was it Zork? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or King's Quest, which, you know, does have um, visuals. Anywho, um, so, and, uh, so, so now that we've finished talking about uh, Areo, um, what, what card did you guys pick for the last episode? Because, you know, I wasn't here to weigh in on it. Um, I hope it was a good one. Uh... Oh yeah, well, <laughs> it was a little. That's uh, a two mana legend. Uh, that sounds good. Demir colors. It's uh, got a sweet activated ability. Uh, I think he's the uh, the head of a guild, uh, actually. Oh, Sadek? He costs like seven. My my buddy Lazav, my boy Lazav. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, we picked Lazav, the Multifarious. That's a sweet name. Um, you know, once upon a time, I remember uh, Lanny, NY, 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 I don't remember how many NYs, of the Faithless Brewing uh, Discord having a, a cool Oops All Titans uh, deck list with that. 
Um, but uh, in trying to revisit that, I found out that it contained four copies of Once Upon a Time and four <laughs> copies of Arkham's Astrolabe. Um, so that that didn't pan out for me. What what deck list did you guys actually brew together, uh, and uh, how how'd they go? Uh, all right, well I'll, I'll kick us off on this one. Um, so I played a to start. I played a Grixis list with uh, Skelementals. Um, I am a big fan of the Skelemental. Uh, actually, shout out to the dive down. So I I. I very distinctly and vividly remember listening to an episode where they did, um, they talked about the the red black skelementals list, and that was like one of the first times where I was like out get somewhere, and I think I just like busted out my phone and was like, I need to put this in my card kingdom cart right this second and order it, and I actually I didn't end up ordering it, but the description they gave and the the enthusiasm that stan had for the deck i was just like i need this i i have to have this um i yeah uh and you know i the, the, the things happened faithless looting was banned and skelemental has never been seen nor heard from again sort of um but i decided to bring it back out of the graveyard and take it through a run with this lazav list um, and so my general feeling was that um, Lazav probably wants to be able to copy things that have good combat stats. It <laughs> wants to have some like attack or damage triggers, things like that. And Skelemental kind of fit that bill. Um, the league was not great. Um, I ended up going 2-3. Uh, I beat... Um, Dead Guy Ale, which was actually a pretty fun matchup. Um, I lost to Hardened Scales. Uh, I beat a Counterbalance deck, but that was mostly due to the other player clocking themselves. Um, I think at the end of game one, they were down to like eight minutes, and I still had like near 20 on my clock. Um, and lost to Elodomri's Toolbox and lost to Mono Red Prowess. Um, there were a lot of close matchups, and I thought that there were some pretty fun games. Skelemental actually performed a lot better than I expected, um, and and I think the games that I won were kind of on the back of Skelemental, whereas Lazav did not perform as well as I had <laughs> hoped in these lists. Um, so what I liked about it was that the grind was great. Um, you know, I played Luris with Mishra's Bobble and Bomat Courier. Both of those are awesome at providing some card advantage. Um, I'm obviously not the first person to do this, but it's they're sweet combos. Uh, I definitely want to keep playing lists with those those package of cards, especially the Bomac Courier. It's such an innocuous little card, but it is sweet, and and to get to just like keep replaying it is is awesome. Um, I think I even had a game where I had like four dead cards in my hand and like two cards under the um, Courier. And, you know, I went into attack with it and got my third card under it and somebody went to remove it. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm happy to go down a card because everything in my hand is absolutely garbage right now. So, um, yeah, sometimes you're happy to with, uh, happy to throw away four cards to pick up, you know, two or three new ones, um, even though you're going down cards. Um, yeah, so the, the Kroxa and Lazav line was the other big thing that I was trying to pull off in this, but it came up a lot less than I actually wanted. Um, 
I felt like I was pretty mana hungry most of the time. And I tried to sequence things such that I could like cast a Lazav, then the next turn um, cast a Croxa and copy it with Lazav to get double triggers. Uh, it came up once, but otherwise it's pretty difficult to pull off because uh, you need the four mana, you need the timing to be exactly right. Lazav would pretty frequently eat removal. I think a lot of people saw it and were like unsure what was going on. And so they just kind of had a panic, like I need to kill that, even if there's not a target for it to copy in the graveyard. It's just a stock one three on the, the battlefield and still it would eat removal. Um, after post-board games, when the opponent did know what I was doing, they definitely wanted to kill it. Um, so I was trying harder to cast Lazav and then copy Croxa on the same turn. Um, and I don't know, the timing just didn't really work out how, how I liked. I, I felt like I often wasn't having board presence until about turn four, unless that board presence was a Bomat Courier, uh, and that just not going to get it done. Um, overall, I think that there was some cool stuff going on, and I think that there's probably something worth pursuing there, but that particular list, I, I don't know that I would want to play again. Um, being able to copy Alluris and Lightning Skelemental rarely came up because they were both 3CMC, and I think that this list just needed some sort of acceleration or just something else to kind of get you over that, that hump. Yeah, uh, so the, the one that I played, which I'll talk about a little bit later on, but I got it off of uh, Jiggy was playing um, Emery and uh, Mox Ambers and etc. And that, that definitely felt like a boost. Um, I'm not seeing your list right here, but I'm assuming you didn't have any of that going on because you were mentioning that you wanted to play no. Mox Amber. Yeah, yeah, I didn't have Mox Amber in the initial list. Um, I did actually, so after that first run, you know, Knowing that I wanted more mana, I, I uh, reworked the list a little bit. I did fit the Emery and the Mox Amber uh, package into my list. Um, this one actually went even worse. <laughs> uh, so I, I had changed the deck pretty significantly. I dropped the Skelementals because of the 3 CMC requirement. I actually picked up Vexing Devil because, again, I kept feeling like, well, if I don't have mana to copy stuff, then this just isn't going to work out. So I looked for any creatures that had decent combat stats that were one and two CMC. I looked for creatures that had good attack or uh, damage triggers at one and two CMC. And um, yeah, I came up with uh, a list that I did not like at all. I went 04 drop in this one. I lost to blue green merfolk. I lost to Tron. I lost to Bant Spirits. And then I lost to a blue-black rogues deck that I, I am not even joking. We played it out to 20 turns in game three, and we were both pretty much in it the whole time. It was very push and pull. Like, neither <laughs> of us could keep a creature on the board. Um, they kept milling me, which was great for me because then I could cast Croxa until they surgical extractioned it, at which point I had nothing in my deck capable of doing much Ooh. damage. Um, if I could have kept Alaris on board, I might have been able to win, but... Uh, the rogue deck was kind of neat. Um, so I think that there were improvements in a sense with this list. The Emery package <laughs> is definitely really good. Having an early Croxa or an unearthed Lurus is absolutely the real deal. And that's something that Arun had been saying uh, as we first started sort of formulating ideas for these lists. Um, and I think he was spot on with that. 
Uh, Mox Amber consistently felt pretty good in this list, and that's not something that I often say. I often want it to be amazing, but I feel like I get burned by it a lot. But in this particular list, it felt like it was on when I needed it to be on, and when it wasn't, it was helping enable a cheaper Emery, and that was pretty much good enough. Um, I think because this list did want some amount of self-mill, you know, even if Emery didn't mill a target that she could bring back, at least she was milling something that Lazav might be able to copy. And I think that was one of the differentiators because um, I often find myself dissatisfied with Emery as well, especially if she doesn't mill something that I want to recast with her. Yeah, I've definitely had times where, where Emery's been less than spectacular in that kind of way, but it's just having the, the synergy of Emery with a Titan. Like we've talked about, uh, we've, we've, yep. We've waxed poetic about the wonderful synergy of Emery and Uro, um, and less so about Emery and Croxa, but uh, they definitely uh, work well together because they want to remove the Emery, and that is now enough cards to escape your Croxa. Um, so you're well set up to do so by turn four, which can be a huge, huge deal in a lot of matchups, um, especially if you're already sort of whacking them with the attrition stick. So I'm, I'm, I just want to jump in real quick. I think this fits well. So I'm going to talk about, because, you know, you've seen, you mentioned the Grixis list made me pretty jealous because Grixis is pretty fun. So I uh, played my own Grixis Lizov list. Uh, Zach also played it too, so I'll hand it off to him uh, pretty soon. But I just want to jump in and kind of mention that I really uh, like my Grixis Lizov list. I'll, the second I took it through one league and I made some minor changes, but the deck I wound up with, is four Bomat Courier, four Kroxa, four Lazav, four Scourge of the Sky Claves, four Emery, three Luris, three Unearth, and three Village Rites, and then three Explosives, four Bobble, four Amber, and then just 21 lands. Uh, nice combination. I uh, kind of, uh, you know, stealing a little bit from the uh, Black Red Shadow, you know, Scourge seemed pretty interesting, especially with, Bro with Bomat Courier and being able to copy things. And, you know, I just love my Unearth and my Village Rites. And I just want to mention that, just like you said, Mox Amber felt really good in this deck. Like, it feels pretty good in the Kinnon decks, but with this, I, the first couple iterations uh, I messed around with, actually we wound up having 10 to 12, uh, two CMC Legends in the two slot. And that was, you know, that actually just felt amazing. Because a couple of times I actually had a turn three Kroxa, like after a turn one or a turn two Emery. And then, like, turn three, you actually have the full graveyard and uh, to bring back Kroxa. The other nice thing about that I really uh, liked about uh, Mox Amber is you get this turn two play of uh, turn two, you play Mox Amber, and then you cast Kroxa with the trigger on the stack. You then village rights it. And, you know, like, if, you're, if your opponent is, unless they're ignoring you, like, that's a really strong play, and that felt really good. Uh, so I, I had pretty good success with the list. I went three, two... Uh, but I'll turn it over to Zach, because I know Zach, Zach, Zach has some thoughts. I did. I uh, reluctantly enjoyed my experience, um, because I could not believe what incredible uh, level of mid-range sort of grind this deck had. And uh, Croxa, Croxa needs some coffee, because he is a closer. He, that monstrous thing, just eats people alive. Um, and I will say, you know, uh, I'm not always a fan of uh, Engineered Explosives and Emery as much as you are. I like it, but I'm not as big of a fan of it as you are. But um, but we had things like Aether Spellbomb and Nile Spellbomb and Necrogen Spellbomb in this deck. 
and all of those things were wonderful. Um, so the first league I played with this Grixis Lazav list, uh, I did not have Bonded Couriers, Bomat Courier for anyone who doesn't watch Saffron Aleph. Um, we did not have Bomat Couriers in the deck. Uh, it went fine. Um, the weakest part of it was that I hit Infect twice. And this deck is not in any way equipped to deal with that. So I lost both of those um, pretty brutally. I did I did take one one game off of uh, the Infect uh, decks, but that that's a total of four and one. Um, but Etron, I just stomped. Sultai Uro, I was able to beat, and there was a blue white uh, Miracles counterbalance player um, who, if they were not blind flipping perfectly on their counterbalances, I would have beat them. Um, but they had very, 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 very good luck with that counterbalance, and I just got eaten alive. Um, which, you know, but I did take a game off them as well. So uh, I was shocked and appalled by how successful this deck was uh, in that first league that I played. Um, but we did make the change. We trimmed out a little bit of nonsense here and there, and then we added Bomat Courier for the second league. And... Uh, Bomat Courier definitely was a big, big bump for this deck. It was a huge, fantastic choice. Um, so, uh, played against Miracles again. Uh, they did not have Counterbalance and uh, got them no problem. Um, but here is where we got beat up because there's Green-White Titan. Um, and I just it, I had no tools to beat that deck. Um, so that is something we could fix with sideboarding. That is the things we could fix for sure. Um, but definitely the way it was formulated, just like in fact, there's just there's just no way you can uh, deal with it. Um, Black Red Shadow, I did manage to beat uh, in one game, and it was a very very close match in general. But I died to them going Death Shadow Fling. I had the I had them dead on board, and they go, "Here's my Death Shadow. Here's my Fling. You're dead." And I was like, "Okay, yeah, you know what? You got it." I. Uh, I can't uh, can't argue with that one. I uh, managed to take a game off of Blue Red Prowess, and um, I got crushed by Bant Ephemerate. Um, so that was a really tough one. Um, all of the ways that I was trying to grind them out were useless, and they had Path to Exile for Croxa. So if you want the perfect foil for this deck, it's probably the Bant Ephemerate deck. That That is exactly the opposite of this deck, and it's much better at doing what it's doing. Um, so... I, the, what I wrote here as a criticism, uh, that, that was lazy. Um, you know, I said it's high synergy, low payoff, and that's not really true. Um, but when you were playing against other creature decks, I felt like there was a lot of problems. And by creature decks, I mean like multi-creature decks, not, um, Death Shadow and the, the Scourge Shadow decks, they don't often play out too many creatures, that wasn't too bad, but it... It just felt like if your Croxa was getting blocked by junk, that they could just kill you around it. Um, and that Lazav into Croxa was, was actually surprisingly powerful, and the number of must-remove threats in this deck is well-balanced. So one of the, the problems that I had with Croxa when I played with it after it first released was the fact that, yeah, it can get chump-blocked all day. Uh, I think that Shadow Spear is a very good friend of Croxa, or Uro for that matter, um, and since we're already playing an Emery package and we're kind of sticking a bunch of singleton artifacts in, maybe that's a, an avenue to, to punch through some damage there. And the lifelink uh, is not nothing. I mean, the trample is, is what you want it for. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to shore you up against some of these uh, mid-range creature-focused decks, but I, I don't 
we've got a bit of a leaky bucket problem here already in that spell-based combo decks are a problem, land-based combo decks are a problem, um, and uh, anyone who wants to play mid-range with you, you know, that's a fair-ish fight, but, like, I didn't run into Nim-Mizzet, but I assume they would have crushed us uh, because they're just better at the game that we're playing. Um, just like the Band of Emirate deck is. Uh, so I really, you know, like, actually I thought Krakta blew me away, you know, like, having played having played an absurd amount of Uro, you know, just delving into Kroxa and just, like you said, Kroxa is a closer, you know, it's just like, boom, 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 done, and it's especially nice like, if you're able to, using Lurus to recast Kroxa too is one of my favorite things, just starve them, try and starve them on mana as much as possible, and then, you know, like, I actually beat Titan a couple times, even though they had an active Titan and a whole bunch of field tokens, because I could Lurus, recast Kroxa, and then, like, swing with Kroxa, and then, like, they're, you know, they're just slowly hitting them for life and life and life. So, uh, in that same vein of, of recasting Kroxa, um, how would you feel about recasting a Vexing Devil with your Lurus? Because that was something that came up in my list that I hadn't really expected. You know, I, I had put the Vexing Devil in with the intent of fueling the graveyard for Kroxa, because I assume most people are just going to take the four on turn one. And so it's another card in the yard. And then, you know, if I get uh, a Luris out, I can recast it. Or if I get a Lazav out, I now have, you know, four power on the board with Lazav. Um, but what I found was I actually had a couple games where I was able to recast it like two or three times. And, you know, each time I would recast it, the opponent kind of sat there longer and longer thinking about, well, do I let this go <laughs> back to the graveyard? Can I stop it? Do I have a way to get rid of it so that they can't just recast it again the next turn? Um, so I don't think it's like the most powerful thing in the world. And I think I would rather be recasting the Kroxo because you're also forcing them to discard. But I was kind of pleasantly surprised by the Vexing Devil. Yeah, the Vexing Vexing Devil, it's a pretty cute idea, like definitely pretty interesting. And there have been a couple of 5-0 lists, lists uh, that, you know, like play like Lurch Jund with Vexing Devil. Uh, you know, I do, I think, like if I didn't, you know, I think Crooks in general, as long as you have the mana, is definitely better to recast. Uh, just because that discard is, you know, forcing the discard is huge. Like Uro is really interesting because, you know, it's not really ending the game. It's, it's pushing you further ahead. But like, you know, if against control, they can jump block Uro for two turns. And even though you've drawn two cards off him, you can still like wind up, you know, the cryptic bounce your thing. And then like they'll cast a planeswalker. And now, you know, you went from a great position to not a great position. But with Kroxa, because it was costing them a card every turn, it like, you know, like it almost made it impossible for them to come back. Like even though I was no longer getting ahead, the fact that, you know, they have two cards in hand. You swing with Kroxa, they discard one. They top deck there two, you know, like they... That they're not going to get really above two cards and they're missing like if they have this if they needed a sequence of three cards to win now it's impossible and if they need two specific cards to win it is very unlikely that they're going to have them both in hand at the same time in this case so i really enjoyed that aspect of croaks a whole bunch actually it was it was nice like you slammed on croaks it's like all right like game's gonna end pretty soon well, it's just when he's hammering in for nine points at a time. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. unreal. And and when you have the option to cast another one out of your graveyard, I mean, it's just fantastic. Um, I'll also say um, I enjoyed playing the main deck Luris. It was nice that sometimes you would flip a Luris into your graveyard or have a Luris that you played that died, and then you'd turn your Lazav into a Luris because there are some matchups where you're just like, I don't need to have as much closing power, but what I do need to do is just keep drawing extra cards with Mischief Bubble or something like that. So that was really sweet. 
um, I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a um, kind of what drew me to. So I, after these Grixis lists, I ended up playing Saltai because I wanted to <laughs> uh, What sort of struck me through the previous two leagues was that uh, the best feelings that I had with Lazav was when I could copy multiple things on a turn. So like copying a Kroxa and swinging and then later copying an Emery just to get a little bit of value, that's sweet right there. But that's a five mana play, you know? So I wanted to, to start ramping. Um, so I came up with a, a Sultai list. I didn't actually manage uh, to get the time to get it through a league, but I played it in the Faithless Brewing Community League matches um, this past week, which shout out to Cave Dan, who started with a, a turn one. So this is this is game one of our, our league match, and he starts with turn one, Mishra's Bobble, Mox Amber, Emery, <laughs> past turn. I start with Mishra's Bobble, Mox Amber, Emery, <laughs> Yeah, past turn. buddy. Uh, yeah, we, we had a nice little mirror match going. Uh, his his list was not playing Lazav's and was slightly different, but it was pretty funny to, to see that uh, opener of like, oh, that's exactly what I'm planning <laughs> yeah, on doing. Yeah. You may proceed. <laughs> Ah, I see you are also um, a brewer of class. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the big takeaways that I had with the Sultai list were that I did actually think that the ramping was the better way to go because some of those plays like I was talking about happened more frequently where I was able to, for example, I copied uh, an Emery on a turn. I cast something out of the graveyard uh, a Mishra's Bobble, and then I copied Alluris, and I got to uh, cast another Mishra's Bobble out of the yard. And, you know, being able to get two extra cards out of the yard for a turn and then draw two more cards the next turn by popping the Bobbles, that was awesome. Um, I think that being able to copy higher impact creatures is pretty important. So, you know, I said I spent a lot of time looking for high impact uh, damage or attack triggers at CMC two or less. Turns out there's just not a lot of good stuff down there, and there's also not a lot of creatures that have the combat stats that Croxa have. So you know, if you want good combat stats, you really need to be looking higher up the curve. And I think to do that, you just need to have more mana. Um, and so the ramp plan felt a little bit better in my mind. Um, I just don't think that copying cheap creatures is a winning strategy unless they're super powerful. And I think that Croxa fits that bill and Uro fits that bill to some degree, you know, being a man of more. Um, but, you know, what's available right now isn't exactly uh, where we want to be. I think that for right now, at least m my takeaway was that Lazav is more of a bit player right now and not a build around card. Um I think that the effect he has is still incredibly powerful given the right circumstances, but the targets just aren't quite there yet. And I think that the printing of Kroxa and Uro gave Lazav some sweet targets to copy, but until we get a couple more like that, I just don't know that there's the density that we want to really make it, you know, a home run. Yeah. And we, um, the first version that I played, cause I just remembered what it had in the place of the Bomat couriers was Scourge of the Skyclaves, uh, which was god awful in that deck um it it did not synergize well enough with anything else that we were doing um the question i have is uh as much as skyclave apparition gets to exploit 
the low cost of things like Death Shadow, Uro, etc. So does Lazav in a beneficial way. So we did not run a Death Shadow, Scourge of the Skyclaves, Lazav deck. Uh, is that something that we that we just didn't think of, or is that something we should be trying? Because I, I don't know. Um, also, uh, that does not deter us from playing Luris. So uh, Luris still fits into that deck. Um, Croxa costs two or less, uh, as do all of those threats. Um, so I definitely thought about this when in my league I got crushed by Red Black Scourge because uh, they just kind of I felt like they did what I was trying to do, but they did it better. And you know, essentially, the difference between them and us was that instead of like you know instead of playing Lazavs, they were playing Lightning Bolts and they were playing Fatal Pushers and Thought Seizes and like they were playing good cards instead of like you know like cheeky synergy cards and i think that's one of you know the big things is just you know they like this kind of felt like a worse black red prowess deck and yeah like you can maybe just choose a like try it again like Grixis won't add the death shadow but then you know like you're losing out on gurmag angler or something like you're playing lazav over it and it seems like it might the juice might not always be worth the squeeze even if you get those you know i think lazav like kind of like Brian mentioned like you can't really build around it needs to be a synergy piece and you know you need other cards that synergize with it like more than so just uh Death Shadow and Kroxa you know like Mox Amber was really really nice too but then you know like do you want to play Mox Ambers or do you want to play Lightning Bolts well let's uh hold on to that point for uh our next subject uh Brian are you ready to move on uh I think uh I think so yeah unless um Arun did you have any other lists yeah I just want to mention briefly one thing so uh Brian when Brian mentioned like he was having some pretty good success and having fun with Sultai Lazav because of the ramp uh I think I was I was like oh you know like I think he I might I suspect that uh Brian means he's having success with Sultai Lazav because of Uro uh, and so, so yeah, that sounds pretty fun, actually, and this is something I wanted to pursue. And yeah, since this was for the Community League, Faithless Spring Community League, uh, you know, I got a little weird because, uh, you know, love to be experimental with really not much on the line. So I tried to make a four-color Lazav deck. Uh, so this is with Lazav and Uro. Uh, but the things I kind of did that were pretty strange, like I have the blue-green, so it's got Kroxa. Uh, I added four Aether Vials and four Drums, uh, so just kind of, you know, like going off the deep end. Uh, I also wanted to try Eile Eternal Pilgrim. This is black-white for a 2-3 death touch. Uh, it's legendary. Uh, and then when uh, for one colorless, one white and one black, so three mana total, uh, you can pay that, sacrifice another creature, and exile target non-land permanent if your life total is 10 greater than your starting, which means 30. Uh, and it also has another ability that's one colorless, sacrifice another creature, gain life equal to that creature's toughness. And then to kind of top everything off, uh, so the idea for this was, you know, like cro- like Uro trigger on the stack, you sack it, and you get six life off of that and the extra three, and like you're having a good time. Uh, the other thing that, you know, very experimental is Veto Thorn of the Dusk Rose. This is uh, three mana for 2-2 two, two Legend from uh, M21 that has the Sanguine Bond text where whenever you gain life target opponent loses that much life. And... This was interesting because, A, this is the cheapest this effect has ever been printed for. Uh, you know, normally it's a five mana enchantment, 
Uh, B, it enables Mox Amber, which I'm a total sucker for, but those two things wouldn't have been enough. But at least look at the last ability. It's three black black, so five mana. Creatures you control gain lifelink until end of turn. And that is like really interesting because if you have an Uro on the field and that and you swing, it's essentially everything gives you, you give everything lifelink and everything is, you know, pretty much, meaning all these have pretty much unblockable. Like Uro is going to be nine points. Uh, is going to be two, so you... It gets there really, really fast, and you know, I thought maybe like this could make it worth it, especially since the deck has so much mana. I actually wound up going 2-0 in the community league, uh, and the deck felt, you know, uh, pretty good. When I say the deck felt pretty good, I mean Uro won me both, uh, both my matches pretty handily. I got to face Damon on Blue Red Moon, uh, and I felt <laughs> felt a little bad because he, you know, I think I escaped Uro on turn three. He goes bolt, snap, bolt, and I go cast Emery, escape Uro again on turn four, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, like you know, I I understand why people really don't like Uro. Uh, this and <laughs> felt you know I didn't feel bad for playing Croxa, but I'm starting to feel a little bad for playing Uro at least in these in, at least in these situations. I will never feel bad for playing Uro. Uro. <laughs> Uro does not help you against combo decks, so you know what? If you want to play a mid-range focused game and you are not playing Uro yourself, yeah. what are you doing with you? Come on, come on, get on the boat, get on the bus. And so after having such great success, you know, the whole deck felt pretty functional. Aether Vial was actually kind of amazing, you know, just I, you, even just leaving it on two or three, it just saves you so much mana. It's kind of like a Renin 6. Uh, not a poor man's Renin 6 because it's still not cheap on Magic Online, but it, you know, kind of fill in for my favorite card, Renin 6. And then, you know, like, okay, that felt pretty good. I jumped into a league. Uh, for the league, I went 3-2, and the deck definitely, uh, definitely felt pretty good. Uh, the, or, oh, it was, it was, uh, whoops, it was 2-3. Uh, but I really, the other kind of hypothesis I wanted to test with this deck is it's got 3 Aether Spellbomb in it, and... I'm especially curious that if you have enough recursion between Luris, Emery, and Lazav, and you have enough mana between like Kinnon and Mox Hammer's Springleaf Drum, like, if you can recur Aether Spell Bomb like two or three times a turn, is it just good removal? And you know, I'm, I really, I thought Aether Spell Bomb was great in the deck. I actually locked out a couple opponents by being able to double cast it, and you know, like. One time I bounced my Uro back to my hand in response to a Path to Exile, and so I just had a couple nifty things like that, and my mana my mana was never short. Uh, but, you know, I love this deck, and the Vita was also interesting, and I have a lot of more directions I want to go with this. Uh, Ailey was also interesting. Ailey's activated ability, I'm really, really interested in now. It actually won me, or it kept me in a game uh, versus Damon, because I knew that he had the Kiki combo, and he had a Deceiver Exarch on the field. But he did never do removal for Ailey, and like he couldn't do anything because I could, I had enough life to activate it in response to if he tried to get in Kiki and uh, go for the combo. So that was also, you know, like pretty fascinating, pretty interesting, and I definitely, you know, want to pursue this more. The one issue I have is without Astrolabe, even playing four Glimmer Voids and four Drums, the mana base was just awful. It was like the four color mana bases are so hard like if you're like four colors and splashing and you know maybe your multicolor cards are up high on the curve but this deck wants to be able to go turn to lazav or turn to uh ailey or turn to uh Kinnon, and it's, then you want to go like turn three into luris and it, it was just a hot mess like i never the mana was like pretty atrocious and even i think i have like a pretty good mana base for this build honestly but without astrolabe it feels not great 
I, I'm surprised to hear that because the last time I played one of your Glimmer Void um, uh, Spire of Industry decks, I, I found that it worked four or five colors no problem. Um, with the the negative side of it being that you got absolutely smashed <laughs> by uh, by things like Blood Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, I so think... I'm a little surprised to hear that, but. I think it's mostly Ailey in this case. Just like, you know, if you want having turn two, you want both black, white, and blue, green. And so you, re- you really need to contort yourself for that. Is, is Ailey worth that? I mean... Yeah, that's the thing. Like, like in this show, I, I think I, you just cut Ailey and, yeah. and get back to playing more good cards. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I... Because, like... <laughs> I, no, because I, I was so I also played um, the versions of this deck in the community league, and uh, the first thing I got absolutely annihilated by was just a dinky creature deck with um, uh, Rally Ancestors, just un- unwinnable matchup, <laughs> unwinnable matchup because they just grind a little bit and then combo you out. Uh, I, I literally had a game where they were dead on board. They're just like top deck one of my things, you die. Here's all my creatures. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I, th- I think this the the fact that we've made any of these versions as successful as we have is quite an accomplishment, and that's, that's definitely <laughs> something I want to want to get towards um, as we move on. Yeah, I think there's still some iteration, but you know I'm do I really enjoyed the Aether spell bombs. Like I'm not sure if my hypothesis is proven correct. I don't know. Like you know, I still need more. I need more data points. But this is, you know, this is a good sign that I do think, you know, I want like heavy mana plus recursion plus Aether Spellbomb could actually be like pretty good. And I, you know, like if you can do it twice, you can pretty much lock your opponent out of casting creatures. As long as so, it's not Skyclave Apparition. <laughs> <laughs> my my question with Aether Spellbomb is at what point does a like mass bounce spell become better? Because you're talking two mana per... Um, you know like recur cycle so you you cast it you bounce and and granted you're able to spread this mana out so maybe the initial cast is on turn one and you don't bounce something until you know later Mm -hmm. in the game but um you know you mentioned like oh it feels pretty good if you can recur it two or three times in a turn but if you're recurring it two times in a turn you've spent probably you know four or five mana for a couple more mana you could be playing cyclonic rift and bouncing their whole board and you know i guess that's sort of the the question is like is the the trade-off of having early game interaction worth it um you know cyclonic rift still can hit a single target early so uh, yeah I, i guess i'm just curious what your thoughts are yeah i it's definitely you know I think it's much better than a specific bounce spell or like a mass bounce spell. The big thing is, you know, you mill it with Emery, it reduces Emery's cost. You know, you have between Emery and Luris and your unearths. Actually, this one didn't, this day didn't have unearths. But between Emery and Luris and Lazav, you're able to be able to recur it multiple times. And even being able to cycle, you know, like the utility, kind of like a, a command or a charm. Or, okay, like, you know, I'm against control. This is going to be useless. So I'm just going to, you know, just slow cycle it and fill up my yard. Uh, you know, now if I ever get draw my Lurus or my Emery, like if I don't have a bubble yet, this is still a way to start slowly gaining card advantage. And then you do have like the cornerstone cases where this deck does have the issue, like a lot of these Lazav decks, where if they get rid of your Titan, you're kind of SOL. <laughs> Happened to me a lot. It's very, very sad. Uh, very not fun. Uh, but being able to just, you know, be able to save your Titan from a path to exile can be pretty huge because then you don't have to dig for another one. Cool. Yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah, I, I will say uh, Unearth definitely 
proving itself excellent again uh, in these in the, in the decks I played, and Vi- Village Rights being an acceptable card to play. Uh, it it didn't help in a lot of the matchups where you know you were you were uh, bringing a knife to a gunfight. But if you both had knives, village uh, village rights <laughs> kept yours sharper. All right. Well, uh, with that, why don't we take a little break, and when we come back, we will move on to our main topic this week and discuss um, a little bit about how we brew. Welcome back. Uh, so this week, instead of our regularly scheduled brewing, we thought we'd take some time to step back and discuss our process a bit, um, how we approach brewing, how we think about success, and really what we're trying to achieve with our brews. Um, you know, I think we're all reasonably competitive here, and we do definitely want to win. That sweet 5-0 is awesome. You know, uh, day two of GP, top eight, you know, top 64 even. Um, I'll take what I can get. Uh, you know, we want to win, but brewing isn't always about coming up with a winning deck. You know, I, I think Zach hit on a good point earlier when he was talking about how um, some streamers or, or people in general play what they want to play in leagues, and then they will pick something that they think is more competitively viable for a tournament. And I think that for a lot of brewers, um, the the same holds true. You know, we go to FNMs or we play in the leagues and we come up with new things and we, we test and, and whatnot, uh, all of our brews and crazy ideas. Um, but, you know, when, when it comes down to it, if we're going to go to a tournament, we might pick up something that's uh, a little bit better understood or or something that we know is well positioned um but really brewing comes down to being i think an exploration of ideas and a chance to play scientist um you know all of the explorations and the experiments uh all of that accumulates to give a brewer a deeper well of knowledge to draw from um you know interactions and experiences uh and a much deeper and broader arsenal of cards that they understand and know. So as new sets come out, you know, I think brewers have an edge on finding that next killer deck because, you know, you've played with all of these cards. Like how many people can say that they've taken Lazav through, you know, even three or four leagues, uh, <laughs> let alone, you know, the, the combined number of leagues we've, we've taken him through. And the next time we see a card printed that fits some of these criteria that we've been talking about, you know, we're going to be, quick to the draw to pull Azov back out and see if it'll work. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. And and uh, I will also say that um, brewing as a skill set, you can um, tailor that to different um, situations, such as when you are playing in a community league, which is even more casual than a regular league. So you can just, like pick a card that doesn't really have any kind of real competitive drive or pull for you and just say, I just want to do this for, for kicks. Uh, now, obviously you can do that for, for a, a broader league. Um, but there is also the idea of brewing for a, um, a an open meta as uh, it is often referred to versus a specifically competitive meta. So if you look at the, um, the challenges and the um, prelims, uh, on Magic Online, or even in, in paper when you go to events, there are a lot more of the sort of smi- smallest percentage of the top tier decks will be overrepresented. 
and the decks that have done well recently will be overrepresented. And brewing for that specific meta that you can try to predict, I mean, that's that's one of the toughest skills in Magic. Um, you know, people like uh, the Arena Decklist podcast, uh, which I still think is a terrible name, but uh, <laughs> even those guys still get that wrong uh, frequently because it's so tricky to do that but it is uh you know one of the biggest joys is when you can when you can get that right and get um i think what the dive down guys refer to as a deck advantage that's a huge deal um for your tournament because you can be the best player in the world but you still need to be lucky and having a deck advantage helps you mitigate that luck um so yeah i i i had a few notes here and i've we've we've gently touched on that but i i think um Broadly, we can say that every magic deck um, falls on an axis of being uh, proactive versus reactive or being uh, linear versus being interactive. So this is how hard are you pushing to end the game and how quickly do you want to do it um, versus how much do you want to be able to disrupt your opponent from trying to win the game um, and uh, open up space for you to do so. Um and so the perfect examples are like the Uro piles, and I mean the Uro piles, not Uro Omnath piles, the Uro piles that are entirely interaction and some copies of Uro to win the game versus something like Neobrand or Oops All Spells, where they are they really don't have any way to stop their opponent from stopping them winning the game, but they are just trying to win the game as fast as possible. Um, so that's your extreme ends, and then everything else sort of falls in between. We also have a separate access of consistency uh, you can build decks that will win on turn one in modern, um, but they'll win on turn one like 1% of the time, and that's not as good as winning on turn two 30% of the time. So you've got your, your consistency axis as well. And the reason I'm talking about these two things is that when we choose a card to brew around, our ability, uh, what we're trying to do is find the best home for that card. And then seeing how well that stacks up against the broader uh, metagame that we're existing in. So the Lazav deck that we talked about today is a perfect example of, is that ever going to really be able to line up as uh, well as the other mid-range decks, as the other... Because I would, I would define it as a mid-range deck. It's not super, super uh, linear, and it's not super, super reactive. It's, it's able to play switch roles, and uh, that's what makes it... A mid-range deck. And uh, mid-range decks are usually some of the most fascinating places to brew because you, you have the ability to go a little faster, go a little slower, more interactive, less interactive, etc. And will like if we do find the perfect home for this, do we think that that's going to be a contender for a top-tier slot? Probably not. But that's not the point. You covered it really well. We're just trying to figure out all the little bits and pieces of magic information um, that we can to make more informed decisions when we are playing with only the best cards or we are brewing with only the best cards or we're making some other brew uh, in the future because, you know, Lazav may not have had the same promise, but once upon a time, Jiggy and I created that Urian deck that he took to a 7-0 run in a challenge. And you don't, you don't get there without putting in the hard work and the stupid work and the brutal work of thinking that Mox Tantalite uh, is tantalizing. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we're just trying to find the best homes for these things and push them to their maximum. And even if we don't think necessarily, and I'm the most guilty of this, I am the, the least... Um, the least faithful, the least, uh, <laughs> I have the least belief in janky cards, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to go full bore into this because you will only find, um, solutions when you understand that there is a solution or that there might be a solution. So you have to leave yourself open to being surprised, um, by what is out there. Jiggy, you are by far our most prolific brewer. So I got to kick it over to you first with what is your general approach to starting a brew? Because you start the most brews. Um, it's like goddamn ale house over there. <laughs> and I, I want to know what's up with that. Yeah, so, you know, I've been starting a brew. I think my general approach is just something, it's either A, something that I, like an interaction or a car that I'm very interested in, uh, or B, uh, just a, yeah, just, I, I guess I would just say an inter an interesting interaction, uh, or I the other thing too is like sometimes I just want to test a hypothesis like you know like can we what would we do if we wanted to play Mox Tantalite, uh, or you know just like is it is it possible that Aether Spellbomb can be a good uh, removal spell if we can cast it a bunch and have a whole bunch of mana, uh, but you know I think the big thing is brewing is pretty hard and you know especially. It's very easy to get up the motivation to brew and then you start working on your deck list and you get like 20 cards in and you realize you have like four good cards and 16 terrible cards and you only have room for 20 more cards and your mana is going to be a mess and you're just like, you know, like I have a whole bunch of just like one third or half finished lists that I just start. It's like, yeah, I don't even have like, I don't want to see how this is going to end. Uh, and so I think one of the big things to get started brewing is you need to find something that you really like or something that really excites you because it does take a lot of effort. It's oftentimes, even if you're a good brewer, you know, your first drafts are going to be pretty bad. I've even heard Aspiring Spike mention on stream you know, he is a prolific brewer uh, that like he doesn't really brew on stream much. And when he brews a new idea, like, he'll jump in a league. And if, you know, like he'll he'll lose his first match and there's this card that he doesn't like, like he'll drop from the league and just, you know, like change, fix it, and then go back in, even though he still had four matches left, uh, which is, you know, like, you're gonna, even if you're a really good brewer, uh, it's gonna, you're gonna lose a lot when you brew. So definitely, you need to at least be enjoying while you're losing, I think. And so for me, just, you know, like, Kinnon plus Mox Amber makes Mana Crypt, and, you know, that's really exciting. That is very fun. You know, like, Eile plus the Titans is also an interaction I'm very interested in, uh, things like that. So, you know, I just try and find interactions that I think are interesting and that I personally enjoy playing, you know, just, I love, you know, turn one, I love emptying my hand, like turn one, Emery, uh, you know, Mox, Bobble, Bobble, Emery, Springleaf, Drum, you know, like one card left in hand, it's like, all right, I'm feeling pretty good. Like that's, that's, you know, like that's a style that I very much like. And because of that, I wind up doing a lot of things around Kinnon or those sorts of, you know, cheap artifact cards. Yeah, I think uh, you and I share a lot of similarities. I also, you know, I see certain cards like Lazav or, um, you know, Kinnon, uh, and actually, you know, different things draw me to Kinnon, not just the mana production. I am still very, very deeply interested in trying to make that activated ability <laughs> you know, a, a total powerhouse. But but that aside, it's, it's usually an interaction, um, you know, between a couple of cards or... 
uh, a particular card that, that calls to me. I would say that's like 80% of the time I see something, you know, I, I still like sometimes before bed, I just kind of browse through Scryfall or I hit the random card button a bunch and like I'll stumble across something that catches my eye. Um, but then the other 20% of the time, you know, I just kind of have like a, a deck concept, you know, like um, I really like artifacts in general. And so sometimes I'll just start looking at what sort of artifacts I might like in an artifact deck and then kind of go from there as opposed to picking something like an Urza or a Psy or an Emery as the starting point and and working out that way. So, you know, sometimes it's more just about like, I want to play an artifact pile or I want to play a control deck or, you know, I want to play an aggressive deck and then I'll kind of work my way down that way. Um, although, you know, I think that those are probably a little bit harder, but they do lend themselves to scryfall searches really well. And so that's usually my starting point for all brews is looking for specific conditions. So in, in the case where I you know have a particular card or interaction I'm interested in, I may look for uh, similar cards or cards that I think, um, you know, play well with that card or interaction. Um, and then the same is true if I'm trying to just build a particular like archetype, you know, if I'm trying to build control, maybe I'll start looking for cards that have the keyword draw, or I'll start looking for cards that say counter in them or counter target spell, because it turns out if you search Scryfall for counter, you get a lot of plus one, plus one counters and other nonsense that your control deck doesn't want. Filibuster counters. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. How about you, Zach? I mean, so the the most successful brews that I have uh, are actually not normally based on a single card or interaction. Um, it tends to be like a whole deck approach. And what I mean by that is that I'll just have like a style of deck that I want to do. And whether that is like a complete... Um, something that's just completely bonkers like I just want to put down a chalice or a blood moon on turn one as much of the time as possible with as the highest consistency that I can or if it's just some kind of creatureless control deck or anything like that I, I tend to try, try to think of the way that I want to play a game and the sort of ways that I can exploit um, breaking symmetry um, so like for example, I, I like usually brewing a lot of creatures with deck because then you get to play effects that just massively punish everyone who's playing creatures, which obviously a lot of people in Magic are playing creatures. Vice versa, if you're playing uh, a creature deck, you want to play things like Thalia that massively punish everyone who's playing things that aren't creatures because you are playing almost entirely creatures. Um, that Those are the kind of things that I usually get uh, drawn towards and, and, and find myself being successful with. Um, I tend to trawl the 5-0 lists a lot um, because there's a, a, a bigger diversity of, um, of decks than just the competitive challenges. And I, just to see if there are individual cards peeking out anywhere that, you know, just because they're on the team doesn't mean they actually contributed to the win. <laughs> but just to see what other people are, just to see what other people are thinking, you know? Um, I, I do my share of Scryfall searches, but I don't tend to do those as much um, as I think a lot of other uh, excellent brewers do. I'm not saying I shouldn't do it. I'm just saying I don't. Um, but 
you know, that there is the reason that you guys are the uh, more inventive brewers, and I tend to uh, find the right supporting casts to surround um, the the wacky interactions that you discover. But I do, I will say that once I know the sort of broad approach that I'm looking for, like a red green lands deck, then I then I know where I'm going to to search for things, and even if it's not. A uh, specific card type or some specific words that I'm looking for. Sometimes I'll just start browsing through sets and just looking for something that might be unexplored or uh, or interesting. Um, so case in point, as we move along here, we're going to get towards uh, a deck that I have brewed together. Two different deck lists that I've brewed together uh, using uh, what is it? Confusing conundrum. Confounding. Confounding conundrum, which uh, I'm a little excited to talk about because I feel like we needed an example list to uh to walk through uh where we end up and and how um anywho um how about goals what 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 what, why why are we asking about brewing goals brian uh well generally speaking i just want to see thing how things pan out um you know brewing as i said at the top a little bit uh brewing isn't always just about winning like obviously winning feels good and i want to do it and i I would like to have successful brews but it's it's really about accumulating knowledge and and watching things um and so for me in particular even when i have an idea that i think is bad i still want to watch it fail and i want to see why (laughs) it fails and how it fails um and this is like this is something that you know comes up in science right like you can publish a negative result because that's actually very valuable information. And I I think that that is something that is important in magic too. You know, I have intuitions about why things may be bad or or people tell me that things are bad, but until I get to play with them myself, I I have a hard time internalizing some of that. And so I just, I need to see train wreck after train wreck and decks crash and burn before I get it through my thick skull. I definitely learned uh, in becoming a musician that there's a big difference between knowledge and understanding. For sure. Uh, un- for sure. Understanding is when it becomes internalized and it is more than just information. It is knowing. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I think that's well put. How about you, Arun? Yeah. So I'm going to jump in and, uh, you know, I think you both like said it very well. I kind of want to, you know, rephrase it. People are just straight up bad at evaluating cards. Like maybe, <laughs> well, maybe yeah, absolutely. Un- unless you're, you know, like Sam Black, like he has a pretty good track record. There's a couple of other people too. Yeah. But like, you know, like only very few people, like you see, or you see Oka when he was printed and like, okay, yeah, he's probably going to be pretty good. But, you know, Sam Black was there ringing the bells and being like, wee you, wee you, like this card is nuts. I, I was the, fr- I, uh, trophied with uh, one of the first Nivlis that had Astrolabe in it. And I remember arguing with people on the Discord why you should play Astrolabe in five-color Niv. Like, it was <laughs> it was not, like, it was not a given. Like, I had to 5-0 and I had to argue with people. This is why you put Astrolabe in five-color Niv. Uh, and, you know, eventually everybody adapted and now I miss Astrolabe so much in many decks, including five-color Niv. Uh, but, you know, just people... They're not good at evaluating cards. So someone tells me Mark's Tenth Light is bad. It's like, yeah, well, probably. But, you know, like people have told me don't put Astrolabe in your five color deck. So, you know, <laughs> I've how, how, you know, sometimes just like Brian said, you just got to do it and you just got to fail. And, you know, it's just like in the experiments I do It's just most of my experiments, they don't work. And you 
spend the whole day following a recipe and things don't work and you learn like this is maybe what I should do next time these are three things I should definitely not do and you know that cost me a full day and you know that that's not a bad thing that's just how science and brewing works and you know I think that a lot of people that are really attracted to the brewing process definitely you know like have some like like they are essentially scientists where you just have to experiment and you have to test these cards and you know just you also you got to be pretty optimistic like you know, if, if, all, if all your lessons and success if all of your everything is mostly driven by failure like you know like <laughs> you two or three if you go two or three for three leagues in a row it feels bad like it's really hard to like to make the, ne the next tweak and be like all right i'm gonna jump in again with like this deck that feels pretty medium after going three two threes like you got to get back up after getting smacked down and it's not always easy oh, you're no, two threes tub, are cute. Tub, tub thumping <laughs> away you know um but no and you know one of the things that I mean, Magic is such a complex game, it's no wonder that people are bad at card evaluation. And there's sometimes obvious good cards or decent cards, but there's also the context which, with, with which you surround them, which is so instrumental to their success. Is Astrolabe a powerful Magic the Gathering card? Not really. But what it did to the environment and what it did for the decks it was in made it incredibly powerful. That said, um, I mean, a card like Mox Tantalite is so tricky because it resists being broken. Um, so that's, like, when we are working on these things, we also, like, we find out, and sometimes smarter people will figure it out faster than even I will, um, because I've played it in a deck, and you just, you start playing and you go, wait, I can't cast it out of the graveyard anyway, <laughs> and I can't even suspend it even if I use Emery on it. This, this thing resists being broken. I'm not saying it's definitely a terrible card, but it might definitely <laughs> be a terrible card. Um, or at least a bad one. Um, and yeah, so, so, and then, yeah, the goal is, yeah, mostly data collection, mostly um, learning, and, um, you know, looking out for those interactions and situations where anytime you're surprised, that's where you want to focus your attention and go, what happened? that I wasn't expecting. Because there is, you know, your theory crafting, um, that's gonna let you know what you know, but the, nothing but going out there in the field and stubbing your toe is going to help you find what you don't know. So what would you say that your uh, uh, approach and strategy to getting your toe stubbed and testing those brews <laughs> is? Well, I tend to just like, just just go. I just go. Just put the deck list together and start moving. Um, but that said, uh, the reason I started streaming was because I was recording my own gameplay to evaluate my gameplay and to remember what happened in matches. And I just started, decided that once I had internet access, I was like, well, I think other people will want to interact with this and, and, and be part of this and see it, and it will be more useful than for just me. Uh, that said, take notes. Take notes, people. Don't just, like, don't get me wrong. You can and you will get better by just mindlessly playing through leagues. But if you mindfully play through leagues, you will get better faster. And if you take notes and reevaluate, if you spend as much time thinking about what you did and, and reviewing what you did and playing out different other scenarios in your head about different situations, 
you will get better and more information out of it. So, yes, you won't get to spend as much time playing. But you know what? We all have plenty of time where we're not able to play for one reason or another. But we are able to review notes and think of situations. And um, So, just like with anything in this world, uh, it is not just about putting 10,000 hours in uh, on, on, on doing the thing. But it's, it's 10,000 hours getting better at the thing. That's what leads to mastery. And um, find other people and entertain other ideas and, and get outside your comfort zone as much as you can. And that's one thing where I am very lucky to have uh, two wonderful people here that push me out of my comfort zone so consistently. Um, and you need to find, uh, you know, complimentary people, and I'm sure you already have, that, uh, that help you find better ways to improve in all of these ways. How about you, Arun? What's your approach? I mean, I'm definitely in agreement with Zach. Like, if a list is really experimental, and, you know, like, this is experimental for my standards. So, you know, like this, this, this is some weird stuff. Like, I'll, uh, I'll start in... Actually, if it's super experimental, I'll actually do tournament practice room. Uh, but I, I think I've only done that once when I was testing a five-color mana base, and, like, it was not, you know, good thing I went to the practice room. Most of the time, though, I do just jump to a heads-up queue because I, I feel like my... My rough drafts are like good enough that you know, like uh, the first couple of matches, you know, I can get a feel of the deck whether or not I think the deck is gonna do something or not. Uh, like for instance, when I first drafted the original blue green Arayo shell like months ago, this is when it was before Karn, before Mentor. I don't even know what I had. Uh, I it was it was not a good deck though. Uh, but I jumped into the queue and uh, the heads up queue, and I faced Monored Prowess. I was on the play. I flipped my Arayo game. Uh, turn two game one and then just kind of one from there and then game two on the drop they tapped out and i flipped ryo again turn two and i remember my opponent typing in chat they're like does your deck always flip a ryo like this i'm like you know this is a fresh brew but like i hope so uh, then, <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> and then it's like you know like feels great let's take it into a league i took it into the league and i went one four uh, but they were they were all like one two losses and they were very close game threes. So even though I had the the new record one four, like I knew that there was still like there was potential to this shell. And then after a little bit more refining, uh, you know, like both by myself and then getting your advice with Karn, you know, like I think it definitely goes there. But I do, I do think you just gotta kind of jump right in and like it's you know even tournament practice is fine too, but. You, you, you think you need to get the feel of a deck and Faithless Brewing uh, has talked about this a lot where you know just like there's a feel of the deck where even if your record doesn't isn't very good just like if the deck felt good if it felt powerful then you know this is definitely worth there and it's worth pursuing further but if it, if, it, if your deck sometimes like you know you take a brew and it just everything feels wrong like everything or you wind up sideboarding out like 14 cards and wish you could sideboard out more uh, that's when you know that he does. He, he got a little bit more work to yeah, do. Yeah, I see. I, I feel like I'm probably the the odd man out here. I think I'm a little bit more timid when it comes to testing. So I actually start with just um, usually using the like draw a hand feature of whatever deck builder I'm using. Although uh, I don't I don't think Scryfall has it, and I've, I've really liked their builder. Uh, that aside, um, I'll oh you know take a random seven and I'll just kind of look at it and think about opening sequences. And I found that I can actually get a pretty good sense of how terrible my ideas are if I feel like I need to mulligan a lot. Um, you know, if I have a bunch of opening hands that are all air or are all payoffs, you know, it, it kind of shows me that, all right, maybe my balance isn't quite right. 
Um, and so I'll go back and kind of think through some things a little bit deeper. Um, if I pass that test, I like to go into the tournament practice rooms. I actually didn't start playing Magic Online until um, basically pandemic. And so I still do really stupid things like pass turn when I didn't mean to or just like pass through combat phases. Um, and I find that I probably lose to myself in leagues like maybe 30% of the time. And uh, that has definitely made me a little bit more timid about just jumping in. Um, but, you know, that said, it's like I'll run a game or two in the tournament or a match or two in the tournament practice rooms. If things are feeling good and it actually seems like a reasonable brew, that's when, when I'll jump into a league. But I, I found that, you know, just getting a, a feel for the deck in the tournament practice room has been pretty helpful for me. Although, man, that place is is weird weird <laughs> corner of the internet it's like one day you're running up against every meta deck that you could possibly imagine it looks like a challenge top eight and the next it's just it's nonsense it's utter nonsense it's me <laughs> spider-man memeing against myself playing just like piles of trash <laughs> yeah well it's it's definitely somewhere where people will go in with a more relaxed attitude but it, it lets you get the sort of goldfish like experience of just seeing if your deck has any kind of legs at all um or if you need to go back to the drawing board um to get uh, even the most uh, tenuous grasp of what kind of synergies you might have so now that we've talked about testing um zach how do you define success in your brewing Honestly, it's it's once I feel that I've taken the deck to its limit. Um, and sometimes you need to leave something for a bit and come back to it because you're not sure uh, about how much further you might be able to push it. Um, it's about finding the maximum potential for a list and uh, knowing that you will never know um, for sure but being comfortable with, with how much you've tried and how much you've explored. Um, and um, it is one of those difficult things to do for so many reasons, but you know, um, there is serious satisfaction for me still when I've been tinkering with some kind of list. So like we played an Uro Omnath turns deck and um, that was super fun and we thought it had a lot of potential and, you know, for whatever reasons, we were, we were playing around with this Arayo thing, so we got distracted uh, doing all sorts of other things. <laughs> but someone did take that list, and they, uh, they were 20 or 22nd in the, in the recent weekend's challenges. And it's great to feel like, you know, we didn't do every bit of work on that, and we weren't the only people who thought of it, and someone out there went and they did it. And it's, uh, it's cool to see that uh, someone can do that. Because, you know, there's only so many hours in a day, and with the way the metagame is constantly changing, you might have a, a, a good idea in the wrong place. And a couple months later, someone comes along and plays that, that same deck that you did, and they have great success with it. And it's not anything about what you did that wasn't good enough, but they, you were doing it at the wrong time. It wasn't the right time for that deck, and then it was. Um, so once you feel like you've gotten things to its maximum potential, um, as best as you can figure out, that is, that is success. Yeah, so, you know, I think I've slightly, in this, you know, we've had a lot of similar answers, which is always really interesting to me. But for this answer, I think mine is slightly different, at least from what Zach said. And 
you know, I think there's a couple, it's almost like this kind of tiers of success. You know, the ultimate tier of success, especially when brewing, you know, that trophy, like getting the trophy, like with Arayo, it felt so good because like the list is super unique and super funky. And, you know, like even though, you know, like one of the matches was Tron mulling to four, then mulling to three. And, you know, like I won that one pretty handily. Uh, so like me, you know, maybe I like, didn't quote unquote deserve it. But then I've also lost some really close four one, had some really close four one. So I don't feel too bad about it. But, you know, like, trophying, especially with the brew, is just the ultimate, you know, that's the ultimate success. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't consider that like the only definition of success or else, you know, if that that should not be your only definition of success, uh, that's a way to live a very unhealthy lifestyle. Uh, but for me, I think the two kind of other metrics I use is, uh, you know, do I learn something from it? Uh, and like, does it lead to something else? So for instance, like all these like kind of parallel brews on these kitten shells, like when I tried the four color with Ailey, you know, I really liked Ailey. Ailey felt good and the activated ability was really neat. You know, Aether Vial was actually really nice in that deck as just uh, another nice mana source and it kept my uh, Glimmer Void alive. And so, you know, even though yeah, that league went two, three, and there are some things about the deck that didn't feel great, I definitely do still consider that a success because in these future ones, as I iterate, you know, I'm definitely going to consider and put more weight on a adding Aether Vial as a card now. And then also, you know, like this uh, kind of opens more things up for parallel brewing where, you know, I want to maybe lean more into Veto. Like maybe I want an Esper list, uh, you know, like Veto plus, you know, Unearth plus Lurus is always amazing. But, you know, Veto plus Monastery Mentor, maybe with Unearth and Lurus and Emery and the Baubles, you know, could be like you make a couple monks, you give them lifelink and that's going to be game pretty quickly. So, you know, just being able to kind of hop through like that and take ideas and kind of pursue them and one brew leading to another, it's definitely a way to get overloaded. Like now you could say that we kind of have too many projects, uh, which is why I didn't feel too sad taking a week off from brewing uh, this week because there's so many things I still want to pursue. Uh, but you now being able to jump like that and going from epiphany to epiphany to epiphany to epiphany, I, I, def I definitely consider, you know, that's probably the metric for success that I use or like the success that makes me feel best with the deck is, uh, you know, if I come up with like if I either strengthen it or if I come up with more ideas from it and based off of it. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I know you, your thoughts are kind of different from us, too, which is pretty interesting um for me a lot of it is how much fun i'm having with the deck because there are good decks out there that i've played for example i i, I played lotus combo in pioneer before underworld underworld breach was banned and i actually just didn't enjoy the deck i thought i would like it i usually like combo decks but i didn't have fun with it even when i was winning and that's that's a pretty bad sign to me um Whereas there are certain decks like Wurza or other, you know, artifact piles or just uh, decks in the, the sort of family of things that I like where I can go 05 and I'm completely happy with that result because I liked what I was doing. And I think part of that is maybe that I've gone so deep on some of these artifact piles that, you know, I'm, I'm gleaning um, information that is like not sort of the the top level stuff right like you can play a league with a deck and you can kind of get scratch the surface and get some useful information but it's like the big chunks of information the the stuff that's sort of obvious and then as you play something more and more and you start to have like really weird interactions or you, you know you get deep into it you start to have these non-intuitive lines and so i think that 
when I can get information out of, of decks or find lines that are just super unintuitive or are really convoluted, um, that kind of information I think makes me uh, enjoy the deck or, or makes me happy. And so I enjoy the deck, whether I'm winning or losing with it. And that's really just a, a big part of it. Um, I mean, everybody likes winning. I definitely would prefer to win, <laughs> but I, I have definitely noticed, like I will come out of a league grumpy, even with a four one, if I didn't like the deck. Um, it just, I, I don't want it to feel like a slog. Um, so I think it's, it's a combination of the information and I think, uh, you know, how fun I find the deck, but I do think a lot of how fun I find the deck is derived from what I'm getting out of it information wise. Yeah, I I will definitely say I'm looking at you, Neobrand, with that description of a deck that like, even no matter what level of success I ever was able to find, uh, in the one (laughs) thing that I played with it, it was just a miserable experience. Just... Oh. Yeah. So we are a podcast about iterative brewing. Um, how do you guys iterate, Arun? How do how do you iterate? Yeah. So you know, I think actually thinking about brewing and iterating is a really good parallel, and kind of goes hand in hand with getting better as a magic player. Uh, like, as you know. In order to iterate, you need to, you, the question you have to ask is, okay, like, what isn't good and what didn't feel good and what could I replace it with? And if you, you know, if the best way to answer this question is to be constantly thinking about it. So when I'm testing, you know, especially the more fresh the brew, the more, you know, emphasis I put on these questions, but I'm always thinking about them as, you know, like in every situation, kind of keeping in the back of my head, what if this one specific card were another card? Like, what would I want it to be? Like, you know, maybe... Like sometimes I'll put force negation in my deck and then you're playing and you've got a force negation stuck in your hand and you know you're one other card away from doing really well and doing much and being in a winning position so okay you know maybe I want this force negation to be something else and this is you know it actually kind of carries over really well to like thinking how you side like thinking uh, about sideboarding too because you know like oh like what if I want it would this be better as an aether gust like when trying to decide about your sideboard cards so definitely, you know, keeping in mind uh, what if this one card were the other card. Uh, and then uh, also, you know, like you mentioned about taking notes, which is pretty important. Uh, just like uh, when I'm going through a brew, like if there's a cool interaction or, you know, like especially if there's a card I'm, uninter- I'm unsure about. Like when I was testing Eilie, like in, through, uh, through that iteration, you know, I would write down just like, okay, like Eilie and play just like this game, like game two, note, like Eilie did nothing. Or Eilie got me a trigger, which then brought me up to the 10 life, uh, which then, you know, I could then exile Planeswalker, and that was pretty amazing. So just keeping, you know, these kind of notes. Like, I don't I don't believe in, like, having to, you know, like, track every matchup. That just seems kind of absurd to me. But definitely, you know, just writing down little notes, even just one line of, in this game, like, game two versus this deck, like, this card did me really well, or this card felt totally dead. And then once I'm done with the league, I'll kind of look through all my notes and just do a quick, uh, you know, quick search for patterns. Like, is there a card that kept coming up? Uh, you know, either I wanted this more or I wanted to cut it. Uh, and, you know, just kind of general things like that. And, you know, like brewing, I think, you know, especially why I was even drawn to it is it's kind of like a science, you know, it is a science experiment. And, you know, it's almost like keeping a lab notebook, just like what's working and what's not. And 
definitely the the detail you put in and just how much effort you put in will be rewarded like the more notes you take the more you're going to know exactly what you want to cut and what you want to move but you know sometimes you just want to like brew kind of casually and you don't want to expend the precious energy that you have and you know like perfecting this magic deck and that's not a problem but like if you're not taking these notes while you're brewing I, like it'll definitely like you will feel it and it will you know your brews just won't improve at a pace uh if you were taking these notes i find that uh the the, the most important thing for me to iterate is when i'm playing yeah finding those things that you do or don't expect when things are over or underperforming and then looking for answers to the questions that you have found here so it's like th this part of the deck is functioning really well i don't need to touch it too much I just mm -hmm. need to keep it doing its thing, but what what are all the other things that aren't maybe quite performing up to expectations or are, you know, I thought that these things would overlap in a useful way and it's just not happening. Um, and, uh, and and that I, I use the, the games and the matches to sort of find data and inspire me on which direction I need to, to brew. And sometimes you'll end up with more than one, which is, which is you know, and they will be... Um, combative with each other and you need to <laughs> understand which direction you're going to take the deck because you you are not always able to do both at the same time um so you you need to make a decision on which road you're going to go down more interaction less interaction more consistency less consistency build an artifact package build in a tutor package and you know there are um there's so much information that you can have in your back pocket from playing the best decks and playing all the other decks you've ever played where you go, you know, what would work really well in here is this eight card package. All of a sudden you're in a completely different place. Um, but in, you only figured that out by playing with that first set of cards once upon a time. And then now you're playing with a second set of cards now and you're going, Oh, these things together. Let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. Yep. That, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, that's exactly, uh, you know, I think that I kind of share that, you know, I take notes as well. Um, I think that these Lazav brews are a pretty good illustration of that. You know, my hypothesis going in, and I, I guess that's the other, taking a step back, I, I usually go in with a hypothesis, right? Like we talked about how we oftentimes have cards that we're interested in or, or interactions. And we're interested in those because we have a hypothesis that they're going to be good or powerful or be able to, to perform some role for us within the decks that we build. And so for you know this week, the hypothesis I had was that Lazav would be made good by copying small creatures with powerful effects. And that hypothesis turned out to be partially correct there just wasn't an abundance of good creatures with powerful effects at, at cheap cmcs um and so that's when i i thought well you know if the problem is that things are there aren't good things at low cmcs then we need to figure out a way to get to uh you know get more mana and be able to copy more expensive creatures before we're already dead. And so, you know, that is a pretty good example of, of going in with this hypothesis, taking the notes and seeing, okay, this just isn't panning out. What can we do to change so that we're still sort of testing this hypothesis that we have, which is that Lazav is good or Lazav copying creatures is good and, and actually, you know, make it better because the, the copy targets weren't good. And, um, yeah, but I, I think that a lot of it just comes down to note-taking or re-watching games, you know, recording yourself and uh, just going back and looking and saying, okay, well, what would happen if this was different? 
Mm-hmm. And also being able to, um, you know, one of the greatest quotes about magic is you have to be able to draw, uh, you know, bigger conclusions from the small data sets that we have. <laughs> um, so oftentimes you will lose a match, but you were one card away from winning that match. That doesn't mean that that match is a bad matchup. It doesn't mean you need to change or hedge anything against it. Uh, Modern is an incredibly gigantic format. There's so many decks out there, and some of them are going to be 80-20 matchups for you. That's not necessarily a problem if those decks are terribly matched up against some of the best decks in the format, i.e., Infect is probably a really bad deck to play right now with these Lava Dart and Scourge of the Skyclave <laughs> decks floating around. You, you can't, you can't, you know, Infect in this economy? No. Um, but they will devastate uh, other, other decks that are around, and that's, that's fine. Um, and so you, you just need to, you know, sometimes it sucks to go 0-5 against a, a weird bunch of decks, but it's just going to happen. We're talking about a game here where the best players in the world struggle to keep a 60% plus win rate. But that 60%, that's, that's, you know, you're working your way up to two-thirds, and every match you play is a best of three. So, actually, 66% is all you'd need to win every match in your life. More or less, so more or less. You always have to contextualize it. Well, yeah, if it was perfectly <laughs> distributed over the infinite, uh, infinite plane. So, are there any last thoughts that uh, you guys would like to, to share on brewing? Uh, Zach, how about you? You got anything? Uh, it's, you know, I, I never really look at myself as a brewer. Um, I'm someone who can brew, but I'm not always drawn to it. Um, and it, it happens from time to time. Um, but I like participating in the brewing process with uh, other people around, and I don't think that that's necessarily a, a bad thing at all. Um, you know, it, it's just uh, it's just where I, I find that I exist within within the greater ecosystem, and uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I'm just uh, not quite as much able to come up with completely original ideas. But that said. I don't reject the ideas when they come to me. Um, you need different types of people in in a, in, a, in a community. You need people who are more interested at streamlining things and finding the best version of something um, than just being able to spew out raw ideas. Um, and uh, sometimes I, I, my inclination to keep coming back to some of the best cards in the format um, is not because I'm not creative, but because, I mean, they're the best cards of the format for a reason. I mean, they're completely unique effects usually, and they're very, very efficient. And this, you know, our Arreo deck is a perfect example where it was like, you know what this deck needs is a way to close out the game but have a little bit more flexibility. We've got Karn, bang. And then Jiggy took it too far by putting in Fae of Wishes, but then we <laughs> reeled it back to to some level of sanity. Um, yeah, so that, that would be, I think, a reasonable final final idea for me is that uh, don't worry about it if you don't feel like you're a brewer because you still will brew and you still will come up with ideas and there's nothing wrong with you know coming up with one good idea per year versus you know someone like saffron olive who's coming up with you know 52 at least um but most of them are forgettable but you know he's if you keep putting in the work you will have a higher hit rate of at least reasonable decks Um, (laughs) so you know 
I, I think actually that's a really good point to emphasize too, is that the, the scale of the brewing that you're doing is not important either, right? Like if you're just tweaking out, you know, two or four cards in a list, say, and you're just looking for what are the best cards in these slots, that's still brewing. You know, you're going in with a hypothesis, you're testing, you're, you're looking for those efficiencies. And I, I think that um, people may undersell that or, or, or say, oh, well, I'm not really a brewer. I don't come up with completely unique, unique lists. But, you know, the process is still the same, whether you're looking for a hyper-efficient answer or hyper-efficient, you know, couple of cards for the, the last few flex slots, or you're trying to create something new from scratch. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to just barf out a list of like, well, here I threw this pile of cards together. Let's see how it, it plays. <laughs> Um, and you know, some of that fine tuning can be incredibly, incredibly difficult. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I want to, I think you both said it really well, especially with the fine tuning part. Like, you know, I, I consider myself more of a brewer than a tuner actually, you know, I have to do, I do have to tune my own brews, but like, I'm pretty good at coming out with like these general ideas, these general shells that, you know, then with a little tweaking, like, you know, by you and Brian just kind of get there and you know, that tweaking is, you know, in itself, it's its own type of brewing just like what you were saying i still want to mention that you know for me personally brewing has been an incredibly rewarding experience it's taught me much more about the game than actually i expected it to teach especially you know these small little synergies and the thing that i really didn't realize is the, it taught me the kind of style of deck that i enjoy you know like my play style the most i always thought that i was you know kind of like a combo player i played spanish inquisition legacy since like 2007 which is a lot of fun like my first foray into my uh, first foray into modern that I had a lot of success with was Birthing Pod, um, Lyra Pod actually, and then when I got back into modern, it was Cheerios, which did me really well and was a lot of fun. Uh, but then I brewed this Kinnan deck, and you know, just being able to dump your hand and like turn one drum, turn two Kinnan Mox, and uh, the Karn into Karner, Kinnan Mox into Urza, like you just drop vomit out your hand and you're like all right let's do this like this is you know like i didn't realize i enjoyed that style of deck so much but now i'm kind of having trouble putting it down and then just how you know i think brewing actually does increase your skill in the game by keeping you aware of all these little mini synergies that happen here and happen there uh you know and yeah and then the kind of the last thing is sticking to a single shell too or like a type of shell like, I've tried a billion different variants of the Kinnon shell, and each one, you know, is slightly different. And by taking the same shell and the same kind of card and putting it in so many, you know, different situations, like maybe 30 core cards and then, like, you know, maybe 10 to 20 supporting casts that keep consistently changing, you really learn a lot about the cards that you're looking at, like, what as you change it around them, like, how the cards change. You know, like, a while ago when I was working on these four-color Kinnon Mentor builds, like I added Tide Hollow Sculler because I thought that would be great, and Tide Hollow Sculler was great. But then I added Sculler, and it turns out Mentor became worse just because Sculler didn't trigger it. And also, you now instead of now that you get to deprive your opponent of a resource, it's you don't really have to generate your own. Uh, and you know that was an interaction that I I would not have ever predicted that you added Tide Hollow Sculler and Mentor became significantly weaker. Uh, but you know it did, and you know, that's something to keep in mind. And you know, I don't think, even though I learned that, I don't think I'll be able to, you know, like in a vacuum theory craft and say, okay, like, you know, this will do, this will do this for me. Uh, but still, you know, like maybe, maybe if I see enough of these little synergies, like I might finally be able to theory craft really well. Uh, but yeah, it's just uh, really just sticking it out. And I, I do highly recommend brewing and 
it's okay to get slapped down. It's okay to get smacked silly. Like, you know, even I can't tell you how many uh, one fours and, you know, I've had with some of my brews and said some of them have been fun leagues. Some of them have been terrible leagues. You know, I've like O2, like, you know, like O2, O2, and I've just like dropped. I'm like, okay, this deck is like absolute garbage. And like, I don't know what I was thinking. And, you know, that's okay. Like, it's, it's brewing. Like, that's just kind of how it works. And, you know, it's okay to fail. It's actually probably good to fail because it keeps you humble. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, to piggyback on that, you know, I, I think most brews won't turn out and that's totally, totally okay. Um, you know, I think it's important to learn to enjoy the process and learn to find success in your failures. Um, I literally had a run where I went zero and 55 in league matches. <laughs> um, is that real? How yeah, that you... is. How? That is real. I what? went 11 leagues without Jesus. winning a single match. Uh, and, and there were a lot of one, two matches that were like, yeah. I lost by, you know, just like, a better the top deck would have helped me. Yeah, it's just yeah. like it, literally any card off the top except for a land would have won me the game. And it's just like land, look at, you know, the next six six cards, land, 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 land. Yeah. But, you know, it was... It was slightly demoralizing um, at the tail end there, but I was playing a bunch of wild stuff that I wanted to try, and I got to try it. And um, you know, some of the lessons that I learned during that run were drawn into other decks, other formats, other brews. Um, so you know, you don't always have to win, and you don't always have to test in leagues. Uh, that was part of what set me back to you know trying some things in practice rooms because. Uh, a couple of those leagues were definitely with decks that I should not have registered <laughs> or I should have, you know, oh, oh, one drop because, oh, wow, that was a total trash heap. Um, and a couple of them were actually like probably decent decks and I just had some bad beats. But, you know, uh, I think as long as you're having fun doing it, you should you should keep on doing it and just don't be afraid to take those beatings and you know, walk away saying, all right, well, at least I got something from it. I, uh, I learned my lessons. I know what not to do next time, or I know which direction I want to go in the future. So, all right. Well, with that, I think we're on to, uh, one of my favorite segments and Zach, now that you're, you're back, <laughs> why don't you, uh, lead us in? It's time for bumps and dumps, baby. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. We we're all gonna have to uh, brace ourselves for a serious period of dumps. So let's let's look towards some some serious bumps. Um, you know we're uh, we we've all got uh, light and uh, electricity. Uh, electricity is great and access to the greatest information network that has ever existed on the planet, uh, the internet. There is tons and tons and tons of quality information out there, and I just want to thank every person, just broadly, just all the kinds of people who contribute to putting in the work and putting quality information out there, because uh, I have, you know, uh, got a new hobby, uh, new-ish hobby still, of um, finding all sorts of cocktail ingredients to make and these these crazy complex syrups and things, and multiple times without ever having tasted a ingredient, I have found a recipe, read the recipe, made the recipe, 
um, by consulting multiple sources. And then when I finally do taste the real ingredient, as made by professionals, the things that I've made are about as good. So, mm. you know, uh, thank you all the people out there who put out quality information, usually with great production, but even if it's not. Um, and if you're not putting out quality information, you know, just... Uh, just, just don't bother. Someone else is gonna do it. Someone else is gonna put out quality. No, I'm kidding. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're just learning about what you're, what you're doing yourself, and you're just too excited to, uh, to uh, hold it in. That, that's okay too. Um, you know, but uh, it's, it's a great, it's a great time to have hobbies. Um, find a hobby that you can do at home, because we're all gonna have a bit of a tough winter. Um, uh, in, in a small way, dumps to uh, getting laid off from the employment that I had recently uh, at a nearby uh, restaurant slash uh, bar. But at the same time, you know what, people? We are about to head into a period where we shouldn't be going out to restaurants and bars so much. Uh, even in Canada, you know what? We, we've been doing great with the whole pandemic situation. And uh, science is on the way to save us. We've got some promising uh, vaccines on the way, but we do need to all strap in, and it's going to be hard. I am a person who does not love to spend my entire life uh, behind a computer screen. I like being out with other people. I am a professional musician. That requires, you know, for playing live, which <laughs> is the level of quality I've risen to, um, you need an audience, and it's going to be a little while, and it's going to be okay. Uh, as as a group, we've all gotten through some seriously messed up things through the history of mankind, and this will just be another one of those little blips. Uh, don't think that your children are going to be scarred forever if you're a parent. They, they won't be. They they might remember it. They might not. Weird stuff happens, and we will always make it through. And in some ways, we'll be stronger, and we can just try to learn from it. Uh, so I'd say, well, you know, definitely, I I agree with pretty much what Zach said there. Uh, it's gonna be you know take it seriously like take COVID seriously it's gonna be really bad uh, it's gonna be really weak it's gonna be really bad uh but uh i say i've just really quickly i have three bumps in one dump uh first is bump to the u.s electoral process uh you know it worked uh, <laughs> we most... weren't sure that that was gonna work out uh, but yeah it did. well you know it's like the biggest election we've had the most participation a lot of states did mail-in ballots for the first time and you know like yeah, there's nonsense and uh, BS happening, but you still think seems like everything is going to be okay and, you know, everything worked out. So definitely bumps to that. Uh, you know, going along with what you said too, bumps to cooking. Uh, cooking is a sweet hobby. I've been baking a lot of bread, made some milk bread uh, with the tanjong and everything. So good. Best French toast, best sandwiches. Uh, and then, you know, this episode actually came at a pretty good time. Uh, do like some bumps to science. My experiments in lab have been working uh, really well. They don't normally work. Like most of the time they fail. Uh, and so they've been working for the past like three weeks. And even when they're working really well, it's still two steps forward, one step back because, you know, there's one small thing you have to change. Very much like a brew. Uh, but, you know, still, the, this has been a pretty, you know, pretty good few weeks for my experiments. And I'm just going to keep pushing and keep hoping things go well. Uh, and then, you know, just dumps to this whole COVID situation. Uh, like we've kind of been saying definitely take it seriously like you know it's going to be worse than it actually was at the beginning or like at any time in the pandemic previously uh so you know just like hand sanitizer like just take all your you know follow the scientists and take all the warnings really seriously uh because as zach said it's going to be a really rough winter 
Yeah, I uh, I'm gonna have to say uh, two bumps here. Bumps to winter. I'm I'm actually the type of person that you know I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm no stranger to uh, snow and cold. I find the the cold air temperatures refreshing. I don't know. Winter is just a, a neat time. I could do with a little bit more sun, I guess. But um, you know the cold temperatures are kind of cool here in Santa Cruz. We get a lot of rain. Um, uh, or we get more rain than we get the rest of the year. I wouldn't quantify it as a lot, but, uh, I do enjoy the rains. It's nice to have a little bit of a change because otherwise the weather is pretty stable here and pretty sunny and nice, but, uh, you know, a little, little precipitation now and again, never hurt anybody. Um, and then my second bump is going to be to electricians. I was without power all day today as I had my breaker box replaced and the electrician uh, had to open up my wall to take out the breaker box. And in the wall, he was like, hey, did you know that all your wires were melted together and there's some charring in here from an electrical fire? Did you know you had an electrical fire? <laughs> I did not know I had an electrical fire. <laughs> so I am very thankful for the people who wire our homes up in safe ways and prevent my house from burning down. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I was talking to one of the um, a, a faithless family member, Grixisism, who I believe is an electrical engineer, and uh, you know I had been mentioning some of the problems I was having, and he was like, ah, I wouldn't worry about the breaker box unless it's a stab lock box. If it's a stab lock box, you should get that replaced right away. And I guess that's that's the the brand of the box. And I went outside because the breaker box is outside and I popped it open and sure enough, right across the top, it said stab lock. And he was like, yeah, you need to get that fixed right now. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> he was that's not great. Wrong. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Go Grixis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm, I think you guys got the dumps covered this week. I think, I think I'm going to end on a positive note here. Respect. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, there are so many people doing so much wonderful work out there, and if you have any local way that you can help without uh, contributing to uh, mass gatherings, if you can find it in your heart to uh, you know, keep your Thanksgiving gatherings small or upcoming Christmas stuff small, just do so. There's, there's a lot of people out there who, uh, who still need that help. There are medical workers who are going to be pressed hard, and, uh, and they need us to... Uh, to all contribute so have a nice giving spirit and uh we can all have christmas in july next year <laughs> yeah gonna, right? gonna have to have do a that big way. outdoor barbecue that's what i want Come on, let's yeah let's let's do smoked turkey and a deep fried turkey come on arun oh, i know you want right. deep fried turkey i've actually never done deep fried turkey but it's definitely on the to-do list all right like for me too i i gotta i gotta do a couple more turkeys in the traditional oven and get my get my oven game dialed in first. Uh, uh, pro tip: if you have a temperature probe, learn how to use it. It's so easy, so easy. Amen. You and you don't have to you don't have to guess anymore. You don't have to be like, oh, is my cooking time good? Is it going to be overcooked? Is it going to be under? No, you knew when it hit temperature. Just follow the instructions. You're going to be good. Let me get. blow your mind here for a minute. You can do that with <laughs> baked goods, too. You get your bread to 190, boom, done. Take it out of the oven. So that's good to know. It do doesn't work so well for other things like donuts. Uh, I, I've, I've, I've gotten into making mini donuts, and uh, mm. temperature probing those would not be as <laughs> quite as useful. But on the plus side, the cook time's a little shorter, so it, they're not as delicate. 
Yeah, and they're going to taste good whether they're raw oh. or cooked. Oh. <laughs> Yum. All right, guys. Well, uh, stay safe out there and uh, see you next time. Yeah. Absolutely. Sounds good. Time to get a brewing. Well, or just actually more like tuning. You know, I definitely want to get a get a fair amount of work on Blue Green Arayo done. It's like Nick. Now, nice being able to focus. Hey, hey man, I'm going to be playing some uh, blue-green confounding conundrum land yes. bounce nonsense, and I will definitely be back to uh, tell you guys what's going on with that while uh, we have been on break. Awesome. Catch you next time. Sounds like a plan. Take care, everyone. See you. Thanks for listening to episode six of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and you want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg, email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com, or join us on Discord at the link in the episode description of your podcast player or on serumvisions.podbean.com. to uh, just be jealous of your deep fried apple pie